Coming up this week on Beyond the Vibe, we're joined by Shane and Ronnie of Those Damn Crows. I remember, <laughs> I remember <laughs> one, of the, one of the gigs, like, the lights went off and then just a spotlight on me. I was like, ah, oh, what? <laughs> you remember those um, Fisher-Price little tape recorders, cassette recorders, yeah. and I had a microphone attached to it, one of those spiral um, lines with it, and I used to take that everywhere, and I would record myself, even from a young age. Both failing music. Um, which made him furious. We both had um, separate prep talks off him in separate parts of the building, which he told us both he was absolutely distraught and, you know, appalled that we could have screwed up. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Vibe, the show that cuts deep into the world of music. My name is Aaron Day, I'm UK guitarist in blues rock band These Wicked Rivers from beautiful Derby, and I'm here with music videographer and photographer, <laughs> it's Mr. Ryan Vasey. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Vasey, what have you been listening to, man? Oh, uh, well, I, I listened to Those Damn Crows. Of course, yeah. Um, we are, we, we're chatting to them this week, aren't we? Yeah, well, it so happens that we so are, happens. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Basie said that, yeah. I checked out Crowcast as well, most recent yes. one with Charlie Starr, because obviously mm. I'm a big, big Blackbridge Moat fan. Um, yeah, I love the format they've got now. I think they're, mm. they're killing it, you know. Obviously, it's, it's nice to be able to chat to to guys that are doing a similar thing that, that we're mm. doing you know it flowed really well enjoyed it yes uh, the the other thing which for me from my perspective gave an extra layer of joy was that they had nice cameras and mics oh, so I was like really oh lovely cameras and mics yeah I was like oh this is nice <laughs> you know? I've, I've been listening to some air metal this week okay you know? yeah so I've been listening to some Dokken uh, some rap yeah. Right. There's a, there's a docking album called Under Lock and Key. Right? It's got a song called Unchain the Night, which opens with it. And for me, it's like 80s metal in its best form because it's a bit dark, it's very melodic. Uh, I was listening to a bit of Queen's Right, which is right. Sort of okay. I never liked Queen's Right before. Really? There's a couple of songs on there that's the, um, like on the album Empire, Jet City Woman, mm. stuff like that. You know, I don't believe in love. It's, it's classic stuff, man. And if it's so, so yeah, you you like with the hair metal? Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I've never been majorly into it. I was more that direction when I was like sixteen to eighteen. Mm. Um, see, it's me throughout the years, I've been going backwards in time. Yeah, I have as well. <laughs> yeah, I have as well. Though, it's like, yeah, I started off with those kind of eighties type stuff, like Motley Crue and all those kind of typical ones. I've I've reached yeah. a point now where I'm more. I think I've. I had a point where I went very backwards, like sixties stuff, and then I reached a point where I met my missus, where it's like, okay, I think I'm very comfortable with where I am now, and it's like, okay, it's okay for me to go back and listen to that stuff. But mm. I mean, we had our conversation. You were saying you 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 don't enjoy it as much looking back. No, I I have this kind of fond thing, and I go, you know what, I'm gonna go back and listen to some of this, and then I listen to it for about ten minutes. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as I remember it. I, I struggle because I've got so mm. much kind of attachment to it. It's like I really, I really vibe off it. Um, but yeah, yeah, just been going down memory lane a little bit, which is exactly segue. Yes, what we do with those damn crows? I was, I was digging that segue. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> you're, you're absolute TV whore. You are. Yeah, <laughs> so you love a good segue. Um, so yeah, if you, make sure you check out our interview coming up now with those damn crows, where we hear all about the guys that were involved in their upbringing best musical education mm. you could ever imagine and we'll hear that interview right now so we're here with shane and ronnie of those dumb crows and obviously crowcast thanks for joining us boys hey. absolute pleasure boys thank you for having us 
<laughs> it's cool. Um, so one thing we like to do on the podcast is um, we like to go right back to the beginning. Um, so how did uh, it all start for you guys? Um, how did you get into singing Shane? And um, same for you, Ronnie, with drums. Uh, okay. Um, jeepers. I mean, I've, I've been I've been singing. Uh, well, my my family tell me I was singing. I came out singing. <laughs> um, I, I um, my dad was a singer and guitarist. Um, so there was always music in the house and always listened to him and he loved his country stuff so uh johnny cash will on jennings willie nelson all that type of stuff was always playing and um he would like to do his own versions of them and it wasn't until i grew up and listened to the originals i'm thinking he's singing the wrong words there he'd make up his own lyrics he'd make up his own sort of um melody lines um and uh, yeah so I, I i sang from a really early age and, and kind of country was the first thing I kind of listened to and it wasn't until um, I became sort of uh, a teenager I met up with Ronnie in school um, well we myself and Ronnie knew each other in junior school um, and then it wasn't until we went to the comp and we had a, a kick-ass music teacher who was just so supportive um, Peter Jones who kind of got us together in the music room and um, we just jammed and 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 you know grunge was massive when we were kids in school so Nirvana, Green Day, Pearl Jam um, those type of bands, guitar-based bands, then became everything. Um, so yeah, long and short, that, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and from, from your perspective, like when you, because like when I first started playing guitar, I had that initial period of about probably four years where it was like, fucking hell, this is hard work. Like I really need mm. to spend time with this. Or for, for, but as a vocalist, we is it just straight away like this is this is who I'm meant to be. This is where I'm meant to go. Um, I I remember having really young you remember those um fisher price little tape recorders cassette recorders yeah. and i had a microphone attached to it one of those spiral um lines with it and i used to take that everywhere and i would record myself even from a young age and there was these little cassettes and it wasn't just um singing it was like comedy spoofs i would i would i'd, I'd do these little stints and i am um, you know, we found a tape not so long back and we play it back and like, oh my God, I just, this kid on like Mickey Mouse, I'm sounding like Mickey Mouse, really high pitched voice. And I'm doing these comedy skits and I'm I'm singing and, you know, really loud, distorted down the microphone and it's really distorting stuff. But I don't know, man, I, I, I've, I don't know whether it's the nature nurture thing. I heard my dad sing and my dad had an incredible voice. He had this really deep, his voice was like velvet. So what a great sort of eye-opener and, and teacher. And that was my instinctive, I, my pitch was really good young. Um, I could hear a song and play it on the, the, the keys or, or pick up a guitar and I know what chords to play. I would, I would, I don't know. I think it was because of, I heard so much music as a kid. Um, I was able to pick it up really quick. And it, but it wasn't until I went to the uh, comprehensive school and jammed up with my mates. And uh, like I said, the supportive music teacher, um, you kind of then hone your craft, you know, um, and really that, that became my everything then. Everything else was secondary to music. That's, that's really cool, man. And then, I, I like that link, as you say, with, with your dad almost making the, the lyrics up, you know, to, to country songs because it's like it's already been built that creativity into you and that improvisation. And then it's almost like the the, the voice recording stuff with the Fisher Price has then fallen weirdly into Crowcast as well. So it's <laughs> know, kind man. of it's all intertwined, man. It's, it's a weird journey. But my dad, my dad would pl- pl- uh, play guitar, 
and I've got his guitar right there because um, he's passed now. He, he's been dead ten years, but he would he would he bought me a guitar, a, a really crappy second-hand electric guitar, and we'd plug it into a little Marshall this big, and then he would just say, um, "I'll play a song, and you improvise. You come into the you you play in the space where you think." And little, you know, looking back now, I didn't think of anything at the time, but looking back now, it was teaching me when to come in, when not to come in, when not to overlap, you know, almost like the, the song is paramount. Um, I'm making it work within that song. So um, incredible lessons, man. And I, I, I don't even know if he knew it, but it just <laughs> instinctively, he would say, come up with, you know, there's, there's, I don't know, 12 bars. What will you do there? And and I would just kind of have these melodies on the guitar. I wasn't a, I wasn't a great guitarist, Aaron, and, and not to this day. But I could pick out melody. I could mm. pick out rhythm. Rhythm and melody are, are like my go-to thing. Um, I'm not technically brilliant by any stretch of the imagination, but they were the fundamental basics from a very early age. And they're the foundations, man. You know, I, I think it's harder to teach that than the, than the next level stuff, like because I think that's more part of you, you know. And it's it's so cool that your dad just just inbuilt that into you from an early age, you know. I think we've all all I've got the same similar story with my dad, where he just it, it was almost like you say you kind of look back and you don't know whether he did it on purpose or whether it was some master plan, like <laughs> like messing yeah. for shit, like back, like. <laughs> Yeah, there from a young age is watching me, but no, that's, that's really cool, man. What about you, Ronnie? Do you have Fisher Price drum kit? <laughs> yeah, a, a thing on the go. Yeah. You still going? I, still, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for it. Certainly, that Um, there's similarities with like Shane's background, um, and then there's like polar opposites where. I was really fortunate. My dad, um, he made a living from music. He was a he was a pro pro musician, like. Um, but with that went the negatives that went with it as well. So he wasn't very. Um, where Shane's dad encouraged him, for example, my dad wasn't really in that frame of mind. It was almost like he he was in a in a in a career that he was trying to force me out of. Um, so I was very fortunate to grow up in um, orchestral pits, um, and I, I was around like uh, West End shows or um, pantomimes and um, all these magnificent things, or in the BBC or in ITV or Granada, what it used to be called. Um, but yet not having that encouragement of music. So, you know, I used to kind of hang out with my uncles, which I thought they were uncles, but they're obviously bandmates. Uh, they'd be your uncle Ted who'd be playing the piano or he'd be playing like the organ and stuff. So I was always keen on what he was doing or jingle jangling about. And same as Shane, I'd be kind of picking up on the melodies. And then what it used to do it for me is when like, when you're part of a production, especially right from the early days of like the rehearsals right through to you doing matinees and stuff like that, you, you hear the chorus lines like, you know, when they come out and like the, the multi-layering of vocals, I was always obsessed with like how the main singer would come out and then like the chorus line behind would be singing a completely different melody line. And then the the next chorus line would be doing a third, you know what I mean? Especially yeah. with those show tunes. Yeah, there'd be three melodies going off, but yet they all match um, and sound incredible. That used to be the stuff that gave me goose pimples as like, and I'm talking like five, six, seven, eight. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, you'd just be sitting there or I would in the pit. I was never really looking at like the drums. Um, it's a weird one with my dad. Cause I'd like, I'd go on his drums in like the, um, 
in the intervals between a show so there'd be no one in this like beautiful theater and i'd sit in the drum kit and i think that's where it started it was almost like that john bonham-esque i did the kick drum and like for any drummers who's watching this when you hit that kick drum in a massive theater it's like boom and you hear the the roar of it and i was like oh and then i hit the snare <laughs> and i was like Boom, 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 bah. And then all of a sudden it starts to come together and it's just that that noise. But normally nine out of ten, you'd see my father run up from behind the, the scenes and go, get off my drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> like um, so then yeah, echoing like what Shane used to say. Um, obviously my dad used to have like um little almost like detective um dictaphones and stuff like that. And so I'd always kind of have them in the house and I'd be doing um DJ sets, mixtapes. Um, so whether it was like Jungle Book vinyls um, and kind of trying to record them. So I'd have the, the dictaphone up against my vinyl and then I'd talk over it in the middle and go, and that was the Jungle Book. And, and I'd just be kind <laughs> of doing that animated radio show thing. Um, and then weirdly, yeah, went through school with Shane, no, no musical talk or anything. And then same music teacher as 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 mr green over there um just dragged me out of a geography lesson and said what are you doing here i've done my options um and i said oh you know my dad's told me i've got to do geography he was like no you're not um and he basically said to my geography teacher you're not you're never coming back <laughs> dragged me down to the dragged me down to the music room and there was just piles of boxes and he said your first lesson is to open them and when I opened them, he bought a brand new drum kit. Um, and then uh, I learned to tune it off the piano with him, yet again by year. So he did the note and then obviously tune the skins. And then the next thing you know, we were jamming Shine Jesus Shine. Um, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And now That's I a look banger, back, that is. That's a banger, Shine Jesus Shine. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It was it like, <laughs> he just started rocking out and Shane knows what he's like. He just started like, it was Shine Jesus Shine, which was like a proper hymn. But he'd be playing it in a honky tonk kind of rock and rolly style, um, and like I just remember playing the drums, and it was four four. It just naturally came out, and you went, and that's why you're doing music. So, if it wasn't for him, genuinely, I mean, I always grew up with little snare drums behind my my head, or like you said, Fisher Price drum kits and stuff. But there was never really the urge to kind of uh, nurture that or push it or. Um, and like I said, I think because my dad came from the session world, it was always like competitive and um, how are you paying the bills if you're not on top of your game? Um, and then the music world had changed. And you've got to think like my dad's like ancient. So he's, he's, he's been a drummer since Jesus Christ, since the thirties. Wow. So he's gone through all the big bands, all the jazz um, and then to, to come to this rock thing, he was just like, ah, oh, no, there's no, there's no <laughs> life. There's no life in this rock thing. Do you know what I mean? He's just like, so yeah, he's, he's completely out. He's dragons den on that. There's no rock. Um, and then, yeah, me and Shane started jamming in school. Um, and that's basically like the foundations of how I became a drummer or how I became a musician was just the, 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 thankfully my dad and his career and the opportunities that i had and the people i met and 
um that's incredible so i thank him for that but no jumping on a drum kit was all um a crazy music teacher who didn't really know me who knew of my dad and just me basically i think he took a hunch and just thought i bet he could play drums um i tell you i'll, I'll spend the school budget and gamble it and see if- <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> you've both got really wonderful stories boys like you know it's really kind of like if when when the biop gets made do you know what i mean I'm, you, you, it's already written I'm, it, do you do you, have you linked up with this music teacher like pascal ah. it's like a geezer man this is the tragedy this is the tragedy and the film part of it <gasps> so myself and shane leave school we've dabbled in bands at that point i mean we laughed the other day because shane reminded me of our first gig um which has yeah that's that's for, that's definitely for the film to re- reveal <laughs> um <laughs> And I forgot about that, which is bizarre, because I always think my first gig was the coolest gig that I ever played. Not, you know, it's not those those bizarre moments, like, do you know what I mean? And um, but they were our first gigs, and Peter encouraged that. Uh, God bless him. Then we left school, both failing music, um, which made him furious. We both had um, separate prep talks off him in separate parts of the building, which he told us both he was absolutely distraught and you know, appalled that we could have screwed up. Um, but the practical side, we'd smashed it. It was just, for me, I chained and come in here, but for me, it was Vivaldi. That's what caught me. It was like learning, um, four, was it Four Seasons? See, I remember that shit now. Oh, fucking great memory. I can't remember shit about why I did it. Yeah, but to be honest, the title and who composed it wasn't on the exam sheet. No. No, if it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds impressive, doesn't it? Vivaldi, uh, Four Seasons. Uh, yeah, but the problem is, Ron, there was no questions on the author or the... Yeah, the composer. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny because he, he was so annoyed. And, and you know, without sounding a, a bit of a dick here, music was so easy it almost felt like you know because you you'd have to compose and stuff and that was my element and that's the stuff yeah, i loved yeah. and he uh, but it was the other side it's the theory side as ronnie said that um you know you've got to learn somebody else's songs and not just like a, a band you like like he was used to chuck on the beatles and say what instruments are being played and we'd write them down and you know he'd be, he'd be like oh well done shane you 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 the, you you knew that there was an oboe in there you know and an and orchestra orchestral music but when it came to like the theory side of things and that really didn't have, I didn't have the interest of that. So I remember it was the first time I heard a teacher, you gotta remember now we're in school, a teacher coming up to me and he was so angry. I'd never seen this version of him. And he was, his, his words were, I am so pissed off. And I was like, oh, a teacher swore on me. Like, yeah, man, a teacher is swearing on me right now. He was so upset and angry that, and I, I, I walked away like being so, I felt bad. I felt I let him down. And he was like, well, what are you going to do now? You can't go to college. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I was like, he's right. I've ruined it. My life is ruined. Um, music is what I want to do. But it was never that side of, you know, music that I wanted, wanted to do. I wanted to compose, but not in the um, in the way like, you know, college and university. It was just about getting up and performing and writing and doing what I loved. Like, that's that was the... And and you got to remember that this this Peter Jones, in the juniors, his wife was in my school. She was my favorite teacher, and in her words, I was a favorite pupil. So she would allow me play on the piano in the in the in the school hall. So there was almost like this team up of mm. um, husband and wife. 
set me up and so i went to comp and i remember peter jones saying ah so you're shane you're the, you're the boy my wife keeps talking about and and it was exactly the same like nobody could touch peter jones's piano in the music room but he'd allow me to do it so i, I almost felt like i had this safety net this mm. support network i was i was so free and allowed to to do whatever i wanted to do and i i will never ever forget it and you know the sad thing is he, he's passed away now so you know, he, he never got to see the little bit of success the crows yeah. are getting right now. Um, but well, maybe he is. Who knows? You know. But um, well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like Shane said, when we left school, we we both went to college, and sadly, he passed away then. So it was oh, like literally yeah. when we left school, um, he just passed away. So yeah, all the. Yeah. The years of like you know you're playing to crowds or you're, you're dropping records again video on tv it'd be kind of nice um like we've both individually and collectively always credited him um throughout our life anyway never mind just for for music industry that's the family to friends to mm. um so it is kind of sad that the one person that you want to thank isn't there do you know what i mean that is a that is a, a tragic thing like you know so it's, yeah. it's good. you can live you're living his legacy though boys you know and by telling stories like you've done there it, it continues to to keep his legacy and his impact alive you know and the more you grow the band and the overall family around it all you know the longer that lives on so mm. so yeah now it's just uh, it's, it's a heartwarming story boys to start off with i yeah. feel like we've dived straight into the deep end i'm <laughs> It's an emotional start, man. That's what you get with the crows, man. We're all in. We're we're, we're quite deep. (laughs) I love it. I mean, you you touched on the the overall progression there. So, I mean, the the crows didn't kind of officially form then until 2014. So, was this when you were both in college then? How old were you in in 2014, if you don't mind me asking? That would have been... No, that would have been... Oh, jump in if I'm wrong, Shane. That would have been about 1996... Right, when it kind of officially oh, when you was in college sorry that's when we left school went to college um nirvana had exploded um green day i was massive into green day um so we kind of started like college band um that's when we like started our our first proper band together would have been um i think shane tried college but it wasn't really for you was it bro it was like Two weeks. I was in college for two weeks. I was like, <laughs> I can either stay here now for a year and a half, two years, and learn nothing. <laughs> and that's how it felt. It just felt like we were rocking up and jamming. And I was like, I don't know. I, I just lost. I don't know. Perhaps I was still caught up on the whole college and university thing and learning. I, I wasn't. I didn't want to know about the technical side of things. Mm. I just wanted to I just wanted to get out there and perform. Maybe yeah. foolish. Perhaps I'd be a 10 times bizarrely like i didn't go and do so that would have been performing arts uh in 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 our local college bridgen college but bizarrely so shane joins there with um our now guitarist shiner um i go and do business studies um because yet again you know dad is still in the in the game <laughs> and he's like oh no 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 no! you're not doing that music thing um so i go into business studies and then the cool thing about that was because it's like a small college i get to go over to the performing arts block um and you just kind of 
check in on what's going on. So we met the same people, didn't we, Shane? So whether you went to performing arts or you didn't, you know, we we already knew like um, the Bridgen scene was like banging at that point. And what I mean by that is like it was building and bubbling. So we'd gone to school with like your, your Jeff Gil-Johns who turned into Buller for my Valentine. Oh. Um, and then you, you joined college and some of them went to college as well. So we were already hanging out because we're all buddies at this point. And we met another Mr. Jones then, which was, because um, a lot of Jones in, in Wales, but you know. Um, so we met another Mr. Jones then, which was um, Phil Jones. So you can't write that. So we've just left Peter Jones, tragically passes away. Then we- PJ. Yeah, PJ. Then we meet Phil Jones, Geronimo Jones, the, <laughs> he's the most, I don't know, he was just so incredible. Because he basically took us to that next level. And what I mean by that is he, he said, right, what you've learned with this, Peter, but he didn't know this, like basically what we learned with that, then this is the fun part about if you want to be in a band, this is being in a band. So the theatrics of it, the touring, the the stories, because um, he was in a band called Sex um, in South Wales, um, should have probably done more than they did um but there's loads of stories why and like the name and stuff like that and and like even pete uh, even phil jones said to us um there's a lot that he probably should have gone back and changed he was a stubborn bugger as well but he it was thanks to him and why i'm telling this long-winded story oh, no, <laughs> no, it's cool. that we did our first gig in london and that was myself shane and shiner right. so our first proper band the first thing he said was boys and that's how we used to talk boys. Um, he say, um, you don't wanna you don't wanna bother around you. He was like, You'll always have Wales, you can always come back to Wales, but you've gotta go to London, you've got to go to the small, you have to go up there, big time up there, see, big time. And and he, he was explaining all that. So we started fucking pack I sorry, I dropped the F bomb. Um you, we started um packing fifty two seater coaches. Um, and putting your family and your friends in the local pub Winnishane and making our own tickets and stuff and starting to sell a venue out up in London by taking up buses of all of basically the Welsh Valleys with him like do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, the only thing he didn't tell us and the only thing that we didn't learn at that point was you should have found a record label because if we would have done that we did everything else correct like you know we'd got one to two coaches up there on a day trip we sold it as a as a full-on day experience trip to London and you get to come and see us um, but a trip to London <laughs> it would pay for all the expenses pay for the bus and they get to go and you know take photos in Trafalgar Square and oh look Big Ben kids um, and then they come to, a, come to a gig then in the night watch us um, and we would have sold out the venue so that was that was Phil wasn't it Thank, thankfully Phil like you know yeah it, it was such a great scene as Ronnie said in Bridgend that even though if you're in college the minute that bell went in college you would hang out with the same people in college and the same teachers in college because there'd be a jam night somewhere. Right. So it'd be, your day could like go from nine o'clock in the morning to like one o'clock in the morning, like the, the next morning, because there was the, always these jam nights. So it was like an extension of college. It was, you were just jamming all the time, learning with and, and playing with different musicians. And I mean, quality musicians, boys, you know, like not just like kids. I'm talking about, you go to these jam nights and there's, the guitar collection was phenomenal. They've all got long hair, and and um, there's so many people I got in my head right now that 
kind of w- would allow us them instruments on a jam night. You know, these mm. thousands of pounds worth of guitar, Les Pauls, and you know, well, Mark Jones, wasn't it? He had like a, a collection of like, geez, good God, man, yeah, thousands, wasn't it? Massive when you're that age, isn't it? Because it feels I, like it just pulls you up and another two levels, like, especially when you're just a little nipper. Hundred percent. You're absolutely We're right. Sixteen at this point as well. Yes, like, we've just and, left school. Sixteen, seventeen, and a Shane and. You know, like Shane said, we're getting a lift down to, which is about, how far is Puthcore from us? Roughly 10 miles, 20 miles? Yeah, about that, seven, eight miles, I think. We're going to lift, like Shane said, like down to a jam night, and you've got thousands of pounds. Oh, he's playing a thousand, three grand guitar. <laughs> three grand guitar. I'm 16, I've got a three grand guitar, and I'm, I'm like, this is what I want. And and, and he's, he's like, ah, oh, go on, have it. But again, it's that, it was exactly the same like, like Peter Jones. When someone can see that you can, you know, play an instrument, and you respect that. It's different to like we weren't yeah, like a punk band rocking up, pissed out of our heads, and 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 abusing these. We were we were even at that age, dude. We were like, this is what we want to be. This is we were so. And I think that the the older generation, the, these guys putting on these jam nights, could see that, and and had a bit of faith and just said, yeah, use that one. And I was like, oh, really? Three grand's worth of guitar, and you know, my neck was killing because I haven't played such an heavy instrument in my entire life. Um, but what a feeling like and again you're right Darren. it just it just makes you believe mm. and this is this is the thing our music teacher made us believe our college teacher made us believe these people you were jamming with made you believe you were one of them and all of a sudden those steps those rings on a ladder aren't here they're right here and yeah, they're doable you're they're living, manageable you're living it a little bit as well and the thing is like you've pretty much had the ultimate education for where you both wanted to be I mean I don't think it was the education that like Welsh National Education Council intended you to have <laughs> by the two Peters but it was what, what the two of you wanted and like I think you're both obviously really lucky and then the good thing as well you've, it, you've, you've taken that opportunity as well like you were both hungry for it at the time and now and you're even more hungry for it now and it's just carried on you know and I think that's the, the key thing is that because you looking back you don't have any regrets about that you just went full in exactly that but it just almost steamballed the momentum just kept going where you thought oh i'd love to get up there and play you were doing it and then you know those those bigger shows weren't such a daunting thing you know it, it was never a case of oh i'm a bit afraid to get up there um because you were in it you were doing it um, so it was almost like a just a, a momentum and, and just snowballed into the next gig, into the next. Oh, it's a bigger gig today. Um, it's a bigger pub, sorry, to do a jam night. And it was just incredible looking back now. What an apprenticeship, man. Yeah, big time, man. That's yeah, cool. So, Those Damn Pros, the name, it's quite an unusual name, isn't it? Is there like a story behind that, or is it just something you kind of arrived at? Yeah, for sure. Um, we we did the whole pick three thousand names, and this yeah. one this one means you know we're dark and we're ready, or this one is you know, and, and we were like just going through the mill really of like loads of names. I can't even mm. remember half of them, but there was just like, and then I just went down my dad's, um, and like I said, my dad's quite elderly, and he he was feeding the birds out in the back garden. And I remember a few crows just landed down and he just went, those damn crows. And it's just how he did. He was shouting and he was waving his arm and and it just tickled me, it did. So I went home and wrote a song, um, like a bluesy lick, and, and the tagline was it was those damn crows. Um and when I sent it over to the boys, um it just it just escalated from there. I don't know whether they, I think it was Lloyd, was it? Lloyd first picked up on it and went, I really like that as a name. 
Um, so it was just like a, a happy accident. Um, and, and that was it, really, wasn't it? It wasn't like... Yeah, Ronnie Ronnie did this like demo, and I I couldn't believe the register he was in. He was down here. He was really low. And, uh, and, he, he, and, he, and that was the line. The tagline went, those damn crows. <laughs> and I was like, oh, buddy. Buddy, wait. Um, <laughs> but he was... But, you know, we, we laughed, like, but little did we know that, you know, that, that, that name, like, like Ronnie said, when, he, when his old man was kind of like angry, these birds, I almost imagine like these, the old, older generation telling us to turn it down because we're too loud in the, in the, in the room next door. And then you have a picture, an idea of, you know, we're a loud, we're a loud band anyway. So it just, it just worked, man. I, I don't think I particularly um, jumped on it when I first heard it. But now on reflection, it's, it, it really it sells us. It's amazing what a, a name can do, really. Mm. Yeah, man, and a lot of bands kind of regret their names. But, I mean, I've, we've, we've both been in bands in the past. It's like it's the coolest name I've ever had in a band. And, <laughs> and I'll admit that. And if any, like, ex-members are watching, I'm sorry, because I never came up with the old names, but they were crap. And, I tell uh, you what, though, <laughs> how, how many people in the industry told us to change it? Oh, that's interesting. Really? Oh. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a truth bomb few. There was a there was a good few at the beginning of the chapter who, you know, they were never like, um, I don't know, dis disrespectful to us. Mm. They were just disrespectful. Say they didn't like the name. They they just they thought that it didn't match the band. They didn't feel that it was the right fit. And mm. um, there was a lot of talk about rebranding and stuff like that. So yeah, I forgot about that, Shane. That's a good. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a good little tale. On that. It's because it's difficult. Because for me, I think. Like, whenever you come up with a band name like you kind of touched on Shane there's always that initial trepidation like is it shit is it corny is it weird but then as you start to build the character and the identity around the band it just becomes who you are like and it didn't it becomes unquestionable you know and I like the fact you stuck by it because it's you know you stood and stood tall by it man you know because it's well, serving anything, you now I mean like Shane said he wasn't really like all over at the beginning but I remember when the first the first person to be exact brought it up that they didn't like the name I remember you jumping in and going oh I really like it all <laughs> it was almost because at that point you've you've almost like you've served it haven't you you've lived with it marriage with it didn't yeah. you like, you're like on, and, and what what sold it for me was um we hadn't we hadn't done many gigs boys and we we done our kind of first rehearsal and I had this we had this idea of this introduction and the whole, you know, what we do still do to this day. We are those damn, and then the crowd sing crows. And it just, I remember Ronnie sitting on the drums going, that's rock and roll. That's, well, he said something else, but um, <laughs> along those lines. Um, but he was just really, I think about it. And, and you just, right there in that moment, that's what you're in the band for, so for those moments. And if we were excited about it, I can imagine other people be excited about it. Mm. And and so it's, um. It's mad. We didn't, you know, you, you think of other bands, though, a Queen, Foo Fighters, you know, they're not the best band names on the planet, uh -huh. but the, the band the band name almost comes secondary because, you know, you, you think of the, band, the the quality of the music now. It's not the band name that represents the band. Um, you almost say it sort of off the cuff. It's not even a, a thought. Um, so, I, I, you know, I just think some bands think, ah, we, we need a cool name. It's not really important if your music is important if your music is good i guarantee you no matter what your name is that'll be good it just will 
honestly i think very to each other i think once you serve it and you've you've written them with it for a couple of years like you're married to it man that's just the, the name of the band you know and you have that connection to it i mean taking a, a bit of a jump down the timeline and kind of going with a band that obviously made the decision to change their name i mean i think our first gig with you boys was supporting bad flowers yes and I think, and I remember when you said it, Shane, about the those damn crows intro thing. I was like, I can remember seeing it and being like, "Yeah, this band like knows who they are, like they've got it." And like particularly with you, Shane, as well. I remember you having control over the crown, brother. And it was, you know, it was a really sick gig. Between them three bands together, it was killer. I mean, at that point, I think you'd you'd had obviously significant airplay on BBC Radio Wales. I think you'd been declared once to watch by Planet Rock, um, and been in Metal Hammer. And and had you at that point signed the deal with with Earache? Did that no. come at that point? No. no way off yeah way off still. right okay so did were you were you feeling the rumblings that were going towards that were you feeling the rise i mean how long did it get you to the point when it was like we're ready now for this next step and then obviously the the point where earache got involved it's a great question bud because i remember that gig like it was yesterday <laughs> and i completely I, I thank you so much for what you said brother that's really no, kind no. Of, but like that gig in particular I was kind of nervous, you know. We were up, you know, on the same bill as you guys, and and we did the sound check, and it was like, ooh, check these out; these are good. And it's like, um, which, which makes you raise your game always. I I love I love that whole thing. It's that friendly competition. It makes you know you be better. But I remember being, oh, you know, when I've been, I think it was Birmingham, right? Yeah, that was yeah. Was that is the asylum. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that was was that the first time we played Birmingham, Ron, and. So for me, what I'm trying to say is I didn't feel comfortable on that stage. Right. I really didn't. That's really interesting, man. Um, and I don't think we were anywhere near thinking we were going to, you know, get signed or there's, there's traction or we were just playing a gig. Um, I didn't, I didn't personally have that thinking, you know, we're bigger than the rest of the bands on the bill or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I, it was, it was a gig with these cracking musicians. What a great night this is going to be. Ron, I don't know who. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll echo what Shane said. I that gig was well off the signing period. Oh yeah. We were, we, we to to get the timeline kind of right. We we just decided we were on our own, right? That was the best way to put it. We we had come out of um, being signed to an agent at that period. We we were around kind of not being able to gig and then we just made our own list of bands that we just wanted to play with mm-hmm. um and, and then that was the mission and you know a lot of the bills it felt like we were welcomed a lot of the bills it'd be like oh what are they doing you um and then we just kind of focused on us um which was the great fool to kind of watch us rise because like if there was a gig where we felt we weren't wanted then that made us want to play even better again like do you get what i mean and then it was almost never to get a record deal or to get get there it was almost just to play better gigs and more gigs and more gigs to be put in front of more people and the only way we could do that is just playing gigs so it was the case of if you wanted us like i I said this on a recent um podcast and i think shane has we we drove all the way to wolverhampton or somewhere like that and we played with thea um we didn't get paid it was just a case of it's a gig um we've gone to ireland um it's never been about the money it was just a gig um so it was always who could we play with who is hot who you know who are everybody buzzing about i mean at that period as you boys know as well it was the bad flowers um so we wanted to play their their launch show um then as soon as we played that what's next 
It was just keep, the case. Keep pushing and pushing for the band. Yeah, what's next? Because yeah. you're only as good as your last show. And the first thing we said to the boys outside, look, hope we did okay. And what, what we mean by that was hope we, we've we done our job. We've got out your, your way. It's your fucking launch night. Um, really nice to meet you. Happy days. Um, but if you ever want us again, you know where we are. And then we obviously had the invite. And it was that tour that really kind of, I would say, would have been the turning point as in, because there was waves being made along there and spot gigs and stuff like that but it was like the bad flowers tour really when like shane took the the plunge quit his job um there was a lot of decisions made to do that tour um and it was the case of that was the one where we were we were playing with the bad flowers then all of a sudden we're opening now and there's a band called federal charm that we didn't really know of and now there's joint headline and you're going to be on when the doors open on some nights and he's going, fuck it, I'll quit my... Sorry, F-bomb again, man. No, that's cool, man. He, um, you know, Shane's like, well, I'll quit my job for that. Where a lot of musicians would be like, what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And even I was at the time. And I've told Shane now, I've always been honest, going, you can't. But he was going, if I if I don't, we ain't doing the tour. And if we don't do the tour, the, the momentum stops. And yeah. we're very much a band of momentum of... We gotta keep, gotta keep going. Gotta keep that engine rolling. You can't stop. There is no holiday. If one of us is having an holiday, there's always. Are you gonna be around to take the phone calls? That's. It's always that 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 vibe, like you know. There was so, there was never a, a conscious thought about where we're gonna be. There was always a conscious thought of an opportunity or where are we where so we, we play with bands and we see we see where we are are we as good as them or learning constantly yeah, yeah. I, I was so i'm so conscious of that everybody we we go on a bill with um you learn you learn from and and how they the rapport they have with the crowd and, and what you can do differently so i've always been conscious of that and the minute there's an opportunity like we said before the show opportunity is everything it's what you make of it and i know it sounds like a really rash thing quitting your job but i just believed in it so much that and i i, I was at the age where i thought i either i'm either all in or what's the point like do you know I, like I, I could do it i could do both and enjoy it but i'm not that type of character i'm like when i'm in i'm in and i am for for strength or weakness i don't know but um it, it was just so apparent that if we don't do it we'll always think ah well you know missed opportunity there and i i hate that i, I hate regrets i hate if you're gonna do it do it otherwise don't no, you just you have. I love the the faith. It's just pure, pure faith in what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? To to make that leap of faith and be like, you know, I'm I'm gonna put put all my money in this corner because I, I believe in it. I mean, when you've got that that sheer focus and that sheer direction, and like you say, you're running and you know what you go into. When when the point comes, when it's almost like, you know. Uh, another opportunity comes to change the structure I, I imagine it's almost a bit difficult in some ways because you're so focused on running in, in your own personal direction so when Ear 8 came what was it like for you boys did it kind of did it change everything or did you remain just completely focused with your own structure and your own pattern or did you give you an opportunity to come away and reflect and think we can do this better we can do this differently it's a great question but I know there were some people in the band who were pro about the, the the record label um there was some people saying we don't really need it and that sounds really strange to say because everybody wants a rock record deal but what 
we had worked so hard and got to, to a level that, and we'd heard so many stories. Don't forget, some of our mates have big record labels. And, and, and so we kind of knew the inside information there. And it ain't all, you know, plain sailing. And you could be dropped and then nobody will touch you again. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So having that, if you don't have the success with a record label, are you going to get it again if they drop you type thing? Do you know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. a lot of things that people don't really understand. And I know Ronnie was like, do we need it, boys? And 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 he'd said this before, so I'm not saying anything kind of new. No, but no. He, um, do we really want it? Do we really need it? Um, it's up to you, boys. I'll go with the flow. And for me, I I I felt like we had to because it's that ring in the ladder. It's mm-hmm. we've got to this stage, and this person's now wants to be a part of it. And I think it's not so much a risk. It's just you've you've the circumstances have changed because you worked hard, and if you ignore that opportunity, you're shutting the door. Um, so I would rather open that door, and if it's you put everything into it, and if it falls flat on its ass, it falls flat on its ass. But if you're not if you're not brave enough to walk through that door and go, okay, let's go for it, um, you will always fail. Like. I know it sounds like brave and stuff, and maybe it's foolish, I don't know, but it's, there's this sense of, if you don't believe in yourself and what you're capable of, nobody else is going to. And and if that's your driving goal and your passion, no one can really stop that. No one can. Like, you know, yes, people could turn around and say, no, you're not playing a gig, you. All right, I'll go and do a gig somewhere else. You know, there's, there's always options. Mm. It's just whether how far you want to go with that. Like, and I think the, the biggest thing is if you say no to yourself, um, or you're scared, you, that fear kicks in. Oh, I don't want to do it. You know, it's going to upset the, the apple cart, or this is going to happen if I do that. That's going to happen. Well, you're already talking yourself out of the, the, the situation. You're not even thinking about the positivity of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're, pulling, you're holding yourself back. Like, just go with it. Right? And it's like Bruce, Wait, <laughs> Bruce Lee there. Be water. Just go with the flow. Um, so, uh, you know, it's that's always something. I, I just say to the boys regular, like, you know, don't be, don't look, let's just do it. Let's go for it. Opportunity, there's a, there's a door open, plow straight through it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So the, the second album uh, came out last year now, Point of No Return. Um, compared to the first album, uh, Murder and the Motive, sonically it feels kind of much bigger and almost theatrical on uh, on certain tracks like Never Win and the recent um, one on the uh, Ultimate Edition, Sick of Me. Um, when making the album, was this something you guys wanted to include from the start, or was was this like something that you arrived at with the um, the introduction of kind of a more orchestral kind of sound and that that piano coming in as well? Was that run? Did you pick? Um, um, yeah, I mean, when the when the band, it's two different animals. I mean, when the band started. Um, I remember the only thing that I laid out to the guys because of like previous bands I've been in was I just don't want to lose track of the foundations and the foundations was I love rock and roll so um, I've, I've never shied away from that um, my my problem would have been to kind of if we use the term sell out which everybody understands so I just never wanted to be something that I'm not comfortable being um, and I just wanted to resonate that throughout the band so when you realise that everybody starts feeling like that then all of a sudden the barriers and the walls come down and I think that's that was the only thing so when we got to when we did um, 
Mood and Emotive, for example, it was just writing, it was just jamming, it's it's learning your craft, or oh, that's better, that gets better. Then Dave came along as well, and, and songs got added to that record, so the vibe started to change with certain tracks. And um, then when you get to a, a point of no return, for example, um, we were working with top level producers like Jagera Means. So it's yet again, it's not something that we'd all we were all in for the for the first time as well. We were all in the same boat, the same ground where the whole process was completely different. Mm. Um, and you either embrace that moment and you enjoy that moment, or it's really not for you. That that would have been the point to kind of I think if any of us in the band didn't enjoy it, to leave or go, this isn't for me, guys, but best wishes for you like you know but working with like chris um he's incredible um and working with colin richardson was just something that i think we we were gonna do it with murder in the motive when we shane um through a through a mutual buddy mentioned colin richardson and we were like whoa colin richardson you know like machine head and 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 he was like so he'd already liked the band from that era um but then obviously we're pointing a return it was just gloves off and he's been known for being like this massive metal producer and he just wanted everybody to know like i i i love rock like you know mm. um we always had the vision of i don't know it was a debate in a band of there are bands that we love and adore there are their club bands they that's their vibe like do you know what i mean if you if you can't imagine them selling out an arena because it wouldn't come across as well for example um but we always wanted to get to that arena level um, and to get to that arena level, as you boys know, and most of the boy, uh, most of the bands in the circuit know, you you have to put together a show. Um, and, and if you want a headline and you really, really want a headline Donington, which is on our bucket list to do that, you've got to put together a set which is a a killer festival playlist like a sing-along so the people at the back know who the band is do you know what i mean it's um and and that's where point of no return was different it was just the case of the piano came more involved i mean we've known shinka play piano like he said he's been playing it since a mm-hmm. since a kid it's just all about for some of the band including myself it was the timing of it there were other bands on the scene who were pulling out the piano and stuff um and shane will back me here we're always like well if they're doing that how can we do it differently mm-hmm. doesn't always have to be better but we don't want to look like you're mirroring someone else mm-hmm. so you almost got to kind of make it look differently and that's why like with that said it was like shane was like can you build me like a pub piano um and and that becomes different straight away because it's not just a keyboard being placed on stage or whatever it was how can we make it like you know iron maiden man i mean from day one they were theatrical with the mask which became eddie so you know why can't that be our band why can't our band be at that level of a queen or whatever whether you are playing the asylum kk's or the nec or you get to play wembley do you know what i mean it all starts from those building blocks and that record was really the the new foundations it's almost like we built the the house and then it was like oh we've got all this extra land what are we going to do with it and then that's where you start filling it in then and going well what if we put this building there and we do that and um and we've talked about orchestras for years haven't we shane where it's like it's just making sure that essence is right and i don't think we've destroyed that with point and no return i think there's still um rock and roll there um mm. and this um riffs like your, your queen of the stone age vibes and stuff but then you have real real 
moments um, which you can actually picture if you close your eyes. You're in Wembley Stadium, um, mm. and 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 that vibe. I think that's what we wanted to kind of bring across, and the the songmanship is there. Um, you know, Never Win is is something very personal to Shane. Um, but there are other songs on the record as well um, that just have those those deep moments, like you know those those pickups, that theatrical, as you said, that that word, um, to make it a show, not just mm. a, a gig or a set. Like I don't know if I'm right, but they Shane now. Hundred percent, bud. The 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 process of the second album, the journey, was taking a different. Uh, unknown territory like you know we 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 were putting ourselves in a position where and and don't forget now we we had it was almost a luxury right we got three producers we got andy sneep whose studio it was right who was just incredible colin richardson incredible chris clancy incredible so we got three people so all these demos that were coming in these guys you know forget the band these guys with all their knowledge all they know how we're going like I remember never when Colin was like it's the reason why I wanted to do the record I was like but it's, it's just a piano bass we're a rock band and then Andy Sneap going you're not going to sing that again are you we keep that demo so we kept the demo for the record because he thought we captured something so oh, it, it was those it was those elements of it's, sometimes it's so much easier when someone out of the band says it mm-hmm. um, yeah 100% just through their experience so the whole process um, the demo writing, the, the the actual recording of it, and then obviously, like Ronnie said, putting on a show to um, match the the clout of the album was really important. And I can't I can't stress enough. I, I've said it many times. The glass ceiling was smashed. That you know we're we're a rock band. Well, we can be more. We can you know like the Foo Fighters do it incredibly well. They could they could do Bloodstock. They could do a pop festival. That you know this got that. They can do both. They got multiple sets. You know what I mean. Um, and I think that's song wins for us. And the emotion behind the song, the craftsmanship behind the song. You know, this labeling, it's this, this, that. We're not really big fans of, and we don't really get it. Um, but we're just trying to, you know, evolve. And um, like every band does, I think. Um, no so- the ear rate thing really is the same. Like it's this, rather than it be seen as a change it's just as you've said yourself it's an evolution yes you know, it's an evolution from the initial core of, of the band you know so it's not it, nat- it feels natural rather than forced you know and i think that's the key thing for it. i mean for yourself as a frontman shane did it change anything for you man in terms of going behind the piano is it something that felt natural to you did you did you have to did it feel a bit weird to begin with in them first initial gigs you know or is it just always felt at home it was it was uh yeah no it was definitely a, a moment where ha oh, crap extra pressure wow. <laughs> all eyes are on you at that point yeah i don't really i remember, <laughs> I remember one, of the, one of the gigs like the lights went off and it was just a spotlight on me i was like ah oh, what <laughs> what I are mean, you doing it'd, like it'd um be a fucking nightmare if we gave artwell another job he struggled <laughs> with what he's what he's got nailed down now Never mind then adding a keyboard wrote on it. So you're killing it, man. Uh, thank you, bro. It, 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 no, it was definitely, I felt, definitely felt the pressure. And, you know, Ronnie, like Ronnie said, this process on the second album wasn't just the, um, an ev- evolution of the band. 
I was going through some mega changes in my personal life, right? So my heart and soul went into this album, and I mean that, like literally, I was telling things that and saying things that, like, my personal. So when it came to playing these songs on stage, when there's loads of people and you could literally hear a pin drop, for example, on Neverwin, and I'm so nervous just playing the intro. Um. Steelhouse was the first time we played with a piano and I, I made so many cuts in the intro and I was sweating and even things like because I'd never done it before like my uh, the sustain pedal on the piano kept moving back because I because it was like a slippery floor so every time I was pressing it was going further and further back and if you oh, watch okay. the video I'm doing this like oh my god this is so uncomfortable to sing <laughs> the microphone is here and, and <laughs> closer so then finding out that I need a towel or something to, for the friction for that pedal not to move you know little things like that that really make a big you've got to be comfortable playing your instrument so again learning innit? um but the pre oh my god i felt the pressure dude unbelievable amount of pressure and the best feeling is when the, the song kicks in on never win in particular um when the band kick in it's like oh now i can relax because i can hide behind the music you know it's not so just shame and the same with blink of an eye when we do the piano version of that but I, I 100%, I I don't kind of enjoy it yet. I'm not at that stage where it's like, yeah, this is my moment. I, I don't think I'll ever be like I do because I'm not that person. I just, I'm so focused in do it right. <laughs> That's what I say to myself at the end, do it right. And, um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when the boys kick in, it's a massive relief. It's like, right, the boys are here. Um, yeah i can echo that because even like when we used to play devil back in the day devil devil in my pocket and like say if the boys would say or oh, ring a chord or well, my worst one shane is when we wouldn't have a song that like ended with a chord ringing or whatever and i know what he means by there because sometimes drummers just go oh yeah this is my moment and it's like for me i'm like fuck i can't wait for the band to kick in because it's just almost <laughs> like i know what he means it's just that that empty space um, I mean, at least he's playing something melodic and singing like fuck, but with a drum, you just yeah. But you say it. that, bro. So as if you do it right. Yeah. Because yeah. in your head, if you make a if you make a mess up, there's nowhere to hide, man. Well, your head is the worst thing because in it that is. moment, even if it's just an intro to a song, you know, and guitarist mind, I mean, don't tell him I said this, and hopefully they won't watch it. But even that, you know, <laughs> even like a, you know, even a sweet child of mine, do 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 do, you know, that's a big moment, you know, because yeah. that's when the crowd go, yeah, we know this song, and and if you go do do, oh shit, there's no going back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've just fucked it. Do you know I mean, and you're waiting yeah. for that 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 symbol to come in and the the band and the so i know what you mean there dude it's um it's sometimes be careful what you wish for isn't it? and you got, <laughs> you got yeah, the yeah and then you're like oh no my hands are sweating more than they normally sweat why are they sweating exactly and, and they slip people watching that why are you, yeah. why are you thinking that moment <laughs> and they and they slip on the keys and it's like and you almost want to say i know we play much better than this it's just because it's sweaty <laughs> <laughs> it, it would fit into the song though would it you just lean towards the crowd and you're like hang on a minute uh, <laughs> let me just start that again let me just mop this up a minute and i'll be back yeah. in a minute exactly <laughs> but the, you know as as the second album was was you know pretty decent and successful and stuff the bigger the album is the more pressure there is to put on a bigger show yeah. mm -hmm. and um I, as a front man i i do feel that like uh 
because people are expecting the certain parts in that song people want to sing and they're expecting me to to do x y and z there's a build-up there's a journey in a song but i think that's what you know the, the the more problems you give yourself the better you become and and i can't i can't if you get through that there'll be something else so if there's something else on the third record you know, you just always, you always grow in, I guess, and evolve in, like you said, Aaron. Um, that's the goal of any band, I believe. So you, you've got to be a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. And it's only challenging because you care, boys. Do you know what exactly. I mean? That's, that's, if, it, if it was easy and you weren't worried about it, there's, there's a problem there. You know, you just want to deliver the best you can for people that exactly. bother the record. You know? Exactly. Mm. Um, so obviously, uh, you guys during lockdown started Crowcast. Um, it's now kind of uh, turned into something much bigger with weekly guests. Um, but like from the uh, from the beginnings, like did you did you always think, oh, I'm going to bring in some guests, or, or was it like you know something you thought, oh, we'll just do this for lockdown, or or was was there a, was there it's a plan? <laughs> It's something, like I said, Shane came up with the audio podcast idea years ago. Mm. We did one episode, like a pilot, which never really got utilized by the label, did it, Shane? It was almost like... No, I've still got that. It's on my it's on my phone. Uh, yeah. We did it in my garage. We all kind of went round one microphone, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I remember Lloyd, like, leaning back, yeah, <laughs> yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had the idea there of a, of a podcast and then life gets in a way and we were on an incredible journey. So, you know, and momentum was taking off. So it was like, oh, we'll do that podcast. And then we'd have a go at each other in the van. Oh, we haven't done that bloody podcast, have we? We haven't done that podcast. So we're always thinking about what we should be doing and what we haven't done. Mm. Um, and then COVID happened. And mm. then me and Shane were just like ringing each other constantly, whether it be god i think some days i don't know how many times it was in a day just ringing each other with ideas basically of what we can keep doing what 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 are we able to do um and then it was just the frantic right well we'll go back the podcast thing and um but how are we gonna do that because we can't be in a room and uh, our five of us gonna be in a room when you know we can't be in a room and then i was like well there's got to be a way there's got to be some type of software out there and so i phoned the label and then i'm back on the phone to shane going right the label are on it we're going to have a solution for you um and then you know me being impatient i'm phoning a label constantly and i'm like um so what's happening what's happening oh we haven't really found a way and i'm like ah oh, right so then i'm phoning other people and 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 like we're all going nuts like as in like what can we do and then finally um i managed to i was watching i sorry i always listened to podcasts and i watched mm. an episode of a podcast i watch in america um i listened to in america and i watched their format and i was like whoa what are they doing for this so then i spoke to the guy in america and he was really super helpful and then i said but we want to be able to do multiple streaming multiple platforms and it was just this guy from a podcast show who just basically said, well, I've used this, we've done that, and this is what you need to do, and you need to put that with that. Are any of you good at doing this? And it was like, whoa, okay. You know, there's obviously a bit to this. Two weeks later, yeah, the ideas were all there. And, like, Shane and myself were riffing off ideas how we're going to have guests on, mm -hmm. how eventually we're going to have our own little unit, and, you know, we're going to 
we're going to turn it into a proper like band style Joe Rogan show um, mm. where bands would want to come to our to our domain. And the worst thing was the more this this was getting better and and the lockdowns were becoming more restricted when they say yeah. it was like <laughs> so it was like the shackles are on more. So we were yeah. like, no. So, yeah, even episode two, we had Mikey Evans on from Steelhouse episode three. Um, Oh, I'm not good at this game anymore. It's just so <laughs> you've invented it. You're a, you've invented the game for yourself, and then <laughs> yeah. Well, the worst thing is we do obviously we do like the thumbnails and all that vibe, and um, mm. you can easily get lost. But yeah, we've had everyone from like obviously you know you go through the 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 team, the people who have been around you, your promoters. John Norman's been on from Planet Rock, and then it was like Shane was going, oh, we should have uh, Wyatt on, we should have Paul Anthony on, and then you start thinking of like um like the wagons we had the stream with them um so yeah the the idea what i'm saying it was always there when it's shane i don't want to kind of say it wasn't because it was how can we make this big yet again with the piano how can we make this different how can we make it as big as it can be like yeah man i mean for for for, for both of you what's who's who's your favorite guest quickly on on the fly who's your favorite guest oh, ronnie go first go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, that's unfair. They're all they're all like your babies, isn't they? <laughs> uh, you can't Not say that's the... quite creepy, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was that's quite creepy, but I wish you'd um... looked into the camera when you'd said <laughs> it. Um, no, that no, that'd be used over and over as a gift. Um, um, I think favorite is i'm gonna change the favorite to some episodes have surprised me mm. um, that's cool, man. Go with that. uh one was blaze bailey um totally didn't expect that literally like a bull in a china shop uh real world wind <laughs> incredible guest um full of energy um and then other guests like jimmy watkins um olympian um somebody from wales um that's when crowcast it was really cool man because like you could tell like crowcast was just becoming uh, a bigger snowball because yeah, like yeah. the guests were changing um so yeah they were they were two among good god i don't want to name half of ones and shane's like let me have a couple but <laughs> yeah, they, they were two which were like wow but there are you know that that that's nothing against the other guests no not at all man what about you shane <laughs> Oh man, there's so many, and and for all for different reasons. You, mm. the, what I love about Crowcast is, right, you come on, you have these preconceptions because some of these people we've never met, right? So you have these ideas of what these people are. You've seen them on stage, you've seen them perform, whatever their job role is. Actresses, um, Ruth Jones was incredible because you know, even though she's local, you know, lived down the down the road, she was a superstar and an international sort of successful actress, writer. Um, so, you know, from a success point level, she's done it. Um, and then to have her on and for her to be so, you know, local, so humble, so loving, so caring, loves our music, generally loves our music. And we knew that before we'd even got her on Crocast because she dropped us messages and stuff. Um, was just a wonderful feeling. And then, like, we had Charlie Starr on literally yesterday. Yeah, massive Charlie Starr fan for me, boy. Oh, I, I mean, all that. Great. And there was just something, again, about his personality, how calm and, and you just want to just wanna hang out with him. Like, you know, you, you're really seeing these sides of people that you probably wouldn't see because not everybody can go backstage and meet people. And even when you do, it's probably after a show, so they're tired. They're not, you're not getting the, the real essence of that individual. And I think that's what Crowcast has really 
conveyed. Um, and I can't help but Ricky Warwick, you know, he's been on a couple of times. And, and, and these, you know, these hookups across L.A., you know, across in America, and we're, we're hooking up with them and, and probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for COVID. So, again, it's about those opportunities and the positivities, what you can make out of something. But honestly, I think Ricky Warwick, so much fun, so much passion, still got it. Charlie, yes, they was incredible, and Ruth Jones. They're probably my top three, but I'll probably go away now and think of others. Yeah, <laughs> they're all brilliant. And, and to back Shane up there, boys, it's just so hard to not leave other yeah. people out, isn't it? Like yeah, uh, no, Johnny, course, Johnny Owen. One, one, there's one guest we had on that I was oh, looking back. We had Danny Bowes on from Thunder and incredible stories, but his internet connection, because he was one of the first guests. Oh, we have the same problem, yeah. It wasn't so good, so it was that stuttery sort of, and he, he had these amazing stories and he was just cutting out every now and again and we're like, ah, oh, damn it. So now we make, again, learning, we, we, we get them on before the show, make sure their internet connections as yeah. good as they possibly can be. Those little adjustments, make viewing better for when you go live so um you know it's all a learning process but uh, we'll i'm sure we'll get danny on again another point so yeah and in our defense as well shane it's like you know like like shane said earlier an echo in him um we hadn't met some of these people like i'm gonna name oh. another one um mark andrews wwe i'm a massive wrestling mark like i absolutely love the pay-per-views i i, I follow him but i don't know you just kind of you don't want to cheekily say, oh, can you check your mic out? Or can you... Oh, and then when you're yes. in the show, like what we do is live. Um, I mean, worst comes to the worst with this now. We can go, oh, can we cut that out? Yeah, or yeah. Start? But you know what I mean? If you're doing like pre-recorded, which we have thought of, um, you, you can kind of... It'll help you a lot more. Because we've decided, oh, we'll go live at nine. Um, it's fab. But then we were almost having to not be disrespectful when it's like Danny Bowes, as you said, and then you want to go, uh, I didn't quite get that, Danny. It's, over, it's live as well. I mean, we had lips from Anvil wandering around his kitchen, trying to get as close <laughs> yeah. as possible to the router. I mean, you can't do that live, can you, get Danny Bowes to wander around his conservatory, because it's just going to kill the rock and roll vibe, you know, so it's a different dynamic. It's yeah. rock and roll, and as we all know, when you're in a band, you're asked, can you spare time? Um, so you have time. I mean, some of these guests have other other interviews or some of them have other scheduled things lined up mm -hmm. so you can't really it's almost like in a good interview and you guys will probably get this as well it's like you can't kill a moment mm -hmm. that's what i've learned doing this now 51 weeks if you're onto a hot chat or whatever you can't kill it by chucking a an awkward thing in there for example like whether it be, and it just kind of just it, it just ruins it mm -hmm. and then that gives them an excuse to go all oh, right i gotta go um it's just little things like that in a shane you just learn your craft um so yeah. bizarre talking like this you know we're in a band like that's first we're in a band like you <laughs> yeah. know so well i mean you've you boys have probably asked a lot of the people on, on crowcast about it but we're gonna ask you boys about it on the flip side i mean one of the things we try and do is, try, is find out what people's lives are away from the stage and you know for you boys away from Crowscast and the Crows I mean I'm getting the vibe that you two in particular live and breathe the Crows but what what do you both have individually away from it do you, do you have do you work do you have do you have particular hobbies things that make you happy I literally live breathe this band that's um I have done now for well when I quit that job in the Bad Flowers tour um this is 
this is it. Um, I don't do anything else, really. <laughs> um, it's like I keep saying, boys, you know, you either you either want it or you do it part time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't do not, I, there's it's just what what you want out of it, I guess. And um, without putting everything into it, I don't think we'd be able to achieve what we have done. You know, sacrifices that are that have. And like I said, off the second album, the thing there's decisions I made and I thought I was getting support from certain people and it didn't happen. Um, and then that changes your whole life. Uh, and it's, it's, you don't expect it. You don't, you don't see it come in. You don't think anything you do for the positivity of where you want to be as an individual is going to have an effect, a detrimental effect or a negative effect on the people that love and support you. But it does. And it's not a, it's not a selfish thing. It's just... I think I've never been selfish. I've always done things for other people. And for the first time in my life, I kind of, what are you playing at? What do you, do you want it? Do you want it or not? And I was really honest. And when I made those decisions, people didn't follow. And I, and, and I respect and understand that. And those relationships ended. And I'm in a completely different place now to where I was two and a half, three years ago. And it's been tough. But this band is my evident right now which i'm really proud to say mm, yeah, i completely respect that man I, i've got to just echo exactly what shane says this um i had my eggs uh we we, we try to cleverly now just help the other boys out because we're all in different phases of life and stuff but um i i was trying to balance um my own business that i kind of had for 10 years um and my passion my love which is music and the crows um and that catches up with you you just mm. you, you just you're trying to kind of please everybody exactly what shane said there and i can't say it no better than that but you genuinely don't end up pleasing yourself um mm. and if anything you're the one who's not enjoying anything because you just you're there but you're not there and I found myself telling everybody else and trying to be the nice guy. And I think I've said it to you, I'm not saying you've got to enjoy the moment. You've got to, you've got to love this. And then you, you, you're faking it because in your own world, you're still not dealing with your own issues and your own problems. So I'm officially now um, a year um, out of a job, out of a business. I, I didn't even quit a job. I, I quit a lifestyle. Um, you know, I had my own, my own business with a business partner very successful, great money, um, a lot of money. Um, and then it was the case of, no, this this isn't enough. That doesn't make me happy. And I haven't got long on this bowl of gas um, that we live on. Um, and I kind of want to see it out doing everything I can in my power to, to look back and not have any regrets, especially like I was in a different position to say like Shane or other people in the world where my family um in particular were so super supportive so there's no excuse then is it like you know you haven't got the um what could be your ex or your or your your wife or your or, or whatever basically giving you the hard sell of you gotta get you gotta do this this is the right thing to do and the mm. music thing has to take a back step i had everybody kind of supporting me and was like super behind the crows if anything they were like so pro crow they were like you got to sign the record deal. You got to get on tour. You got to do this. And I'm going, because <laughs> I'm like, we're going to lose everything. And they're like, what are you going to lose us? No. Well, then you haven't lost everything. So it's the case of, ah, so then you have a reality check. And ever since then, 
I've just had this mantra like Shane where I just balance everything really super well now. I always think, um, I almost feel guilty. I don't know if you feel the same, Shane, sometimes. You have this pocket of time and you almost feel guilty that it's not on music. Like, do you know what I mean? It's almost like, um, I don't know, even when I go for a walk now, I listen to playlists. So I listen to, to albums because it's just, I want to really take, I'm so in love with music that I almost feel that anything else I do is just wasted. Like, do you know what I mean? It's time wasted. It's like I have Valhalla that I had for, for Christmas, a computer game. And that yeah. was wicked. I put it on. I had axes out. I was killing people. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah. Oh. And then the wife said to me, you haven't really played that, have you? And I haven't. I'm still in my first settlement. But it was the fact that I'm like, oh, I should be upstairs now. Or this podcast I'd rather be editing. Or <laughs> you you find a love for even like stuff that isn't music, which is music. And it's like the yeah. Crowcast. Um, we're contacting mm. guests. So we're, um, we have a great manager now in place, a great agent. Um, but that doesn't mean that you take your foot off a of gas, boys. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're there because you're doing well. The moment you step back and you're not pushing and you're not working hard, the moment that people can kind of go, oh, it's not quite working out. And we ain't want to be one of them bands, isn't it? Uh, that's the we want to be the band that's kind of asking, well, why are you doing this? Because we're doing that. Or we want to keep driving. We want to keep working hard. Yeah. Um, you know, we've just got you on tour with the Foo Fighters. Brilliant. What's next? <laughs> it's like, um, I don't know. Like, do you know what I mean? That sounds really mad. And it is mad. Like, we, I don't know. We have after shows after the Crowcast, don't we, bro? Where we like, how did that go for you? <laughs> what, could, <laughs> what could we do better? <laughs> how was that for you with a fan? Great for me. How was it for you? Uh, or do the Jim Carrey, I've had better. But no, helping each other out of like, oh, maybe that segment doesn't work as well, or we won't do that next time, or um, I don't know, just, just constantly trying to kind of be the best you can at what we do, and everything is crows. I know that sounds like over the top, um, but that's that's what we are. We're just so fanatic for it, like, do you know what I mean? No, mm. complete respect for that, boys. Yeah, really. that's cool. Um, of course, now we know that kind of gigs will be returning at this point, some point this year. Um, do you guys have any like plans to like properly celebrate the album now that you can? Well, theoretically, kind of can. Yeah, <laughs> we'll maybe see. take it. Out, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Are you going to take it out on the road? It, it's mad, bro. Um, February, we done that tour, small tour around the UK, sold out. We were so bowled over with the reaction. Um, and then the world stopped and, and then you're like, oh, but we got so much touring to do on this album. We haven't, we haven't scratched the surface. Um, and then we were thinking, right, we, we, we're not going to do another album. We're just going to wait until the doors open again. And we're going to tour the shit out of this album because it deserves it. And the doors remain shut. And then there was an idea of doing an ultimate edition version of Point of No Return. Um, we were writing some new material and then the idea came, well, we'll put a new song on the new ultimate edition and a couple of acoustic tracks of, other songs and then it was a case of right what now i mean and then you know speaking to the label and management and we were just like well, this this it's been shut down for 12 12 months so that would have been 12 months of gigging touring mm. the album so we're basically we're gonna tour um we're gonna write um another album um but obviously when the when the doors open again we can we can 
tore the shit out of this album. Um, but the idea is to write another one. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just nonstop really do it. I mean, and hopefully we'll have three albums worth of material ready for the, the, you know, the bigger shows. Um, if we're higher up on bills and stuff or we're doing our own sort of show. So, I mean, it's, it's all, what you make of it i guess um but it it, it is frustrating boys and, and i'm not gonna lie i was really not looking forward to writing a new album because i feel like we hadn't scratched the surface like i said yeah. with the second album but yeah. i feel like now it's been out long enough it's not dead of course it's not we're going to be doing um playing these songs on tour but it just feels like we need new material now we need this is uh, too much time has passed um so we, yeah, we're we're writing again. Awesome boys, looking. I'm looking forward to that next stage in your development. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like you look at the albums and, like you say, live and just your overall story. Everything's moving forward and progressing. So it'll be interesting to see what the next turn of the cycle is for. It's for the crows, man. Mm. Um, yeah. fi- finally, um, a bit of a hypothetical question that I like to have, ask everybody at the end. Um, if you could pick one band from the past and one band from the present to tour with, who would they be? <laughs> do you want to go first? <laughs> you <sure? laughs> I always do it's that to Ryan. One. I always ask Ryan a question so I can have about half an hour to think about it. <laughs> well, for me, it would be Queen. Cool. God, man. And... It would, it would probably be Foo Fighters. Yeah, um, that's good. Yeah, that's solid. Because, I mean, well, it could have been Nirvana too. I mean, anything with Dave Grohl. I just think both bands are incredible live. They bring the audience in. Like, for, there was nobody better than Freddie Mercury. That that man would was such a powerhouse one minute, then completely vulnerable the next then completely flamboyant the next song what a roller coaster of a show (laughs) you would have with that band and um songwriting is incredible um unbelievable and then you got dave Grohl on the foo fighters you know i we could i think we've had this conversation before on you know even if he was like behind the kit on nirvana or something i would or or up front incredible they're they're the two for me Yeah, I, I always laugh and whatever because I'm hoping that he'll he'll choose someone else. <laughs> That's <laughs> why you said you want to go first. Yeah, I know I should have done it, man. Because I was thinking, I know if I go first, I know it's it's equally the same script. Like he mm. would turn around and go, "Oh God, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah." Everything the stranger said, I double down on. Um, I suppose if I have to go different, um, it would be the police. Yes. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, not not just on a musical because the Crows from day one. Yet again, this is why we've always been on the same page. It's more than just banging out songs. It's more than just writing a song um, and then just putting it in a set. It's how is that set crafted? How does that set work? And not just for the band uh, on a selfish stage is how do you connect with your crowd so like long time dead when we wrote that we're in the practice room and the first thing we thought of there's a middle part oh this wicked there's a break but then we could do like a bit of a where the jazz musicians back in the day would all go around individually and then it goes to the the thing we'll do it with the crowd and get them to clap Um, and that was the interchange like you know it keeps the band in time which is hard when you're live as well when you've got a few people who clap out of time Um, (laughs) but it makes it fun so that's why I'm saying the police because it's that whole 
I don't think like I never had the privilege to go and watch him. I was so close to seeing him and um the guy who was taking me as missus wanted to go last minute, which is typical. Um <laughs> <laughs> they're not even together what anymore. was she thinking they're not even together anymore do you know what i mean i'm still mates with him um but yeah so it's um it was more from the jam aspect of and plus they've got tunes but it's how they would i don't know they would do a song and it'd be three and a half minutes and they would make it six and a half or seven but then the next video you watch is completely different again because they've got mm. just little jams and little little interchanges and little ways of segueing throughout throughout the taking you on a journey like you know um present Oh, I, I'd love to see the Foos. I mean, you know, they're the top. Do the Foos if you want, man. You know, it's, it's, I mean, Shane's already picked them. Muse. Know. I'll go Muse. Music's an interesting choice. You see, that's that. A lot of people see them as like a modern day queen because it's a similar band where they've developed and they've changed the style and and like you say, it's, it's a lot of the things you boys draw off. Where it's about what what can you do next? What's next? You know, in the story. Yeah, yeah I mean, I listen to like whether it be. Fleetwood Mac um, or Muse or anyone like that. But Muse, me and Shane have always talked about because it's yet again that arena. I mean, I watched them play. Um, I was watching on YouTube the other day. I think they were playing like Tokyo or somewhere like that. And it was just their stage show was phenomenal. They liked in. Um, it really filled the room. Pardon. You know, it was it's an mm. arena like, but it was just like it's a spectacle like, do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and I love that about bands like that, or whether it be Metallica or ACDC rocking up or Iron Maiden, as the joke was, which Blaze Bailey said, turning up with a spitfire on stage. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's how, how, how do you become bigger? How do you, that Motley Crue circus or mm. Muse have got that for me. And the similarities, like I said, whether it be the, 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 the piano aspect of the band or whether it be like, we're going to do, acoustic sessions like um Foo Fighters did or stuff like that. It's how do you how do you turn that into a big rock and roll extravaganza like, you know? So Mm. No, nice one, boys. Nice one. Right, for those that haven't checked out the Ultimate Edition of Point of No Return, which is out now, go check it out. If you've not checked out the clip of uh, Shane dry humping the piano at Steelhouse, make sure you check that out, uh, which we'll be doing afterwards. Um, and thanks ever so much for your time, boys. Honestly, if you've not checked out Crowfest and and the overall like vibe of the Crows, boys, please check him out. Like, I think honestly, chatting to you both like then is just I love the story and just the essence. Of, of what you boys are trying to achieve you know if they're so organic and so real you know we both really vibe off that mm. so thanks for your time gents thank uh, you, boys thank you so much Aaron Ryan thank you boys uh, it's been really cool man yes yeah, so that was uh, Ronnie and Shane of those damn crows I really enjoyed that man I thought it was the goodest of vibes and I said something at the end right <laughs> and when I said it, my overall summary mm. too, and when I was doing it I thought fucking hell this sounds shit this is going to be corny as hell <laughs> Um, but but it, it I kind of I think it's true you know with the crows it does feel like it's a biop already written you mm. know the story with the people that was involved in getting them to where they are it's got this real heartwarming vibe and I love Shane and Ronnie's relationship like they yeah. they truly live and breathe um, the band and 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 just that overall pushing it mm. with the most possible energy they can and I think a lot of people can take inspiration from that definitely you know yeah it's um, you know a big reason to why I do this kind of so where did it all begin for you that that is exactly why you know when they talked about you know going through the college and having the teacher that like pulled um ronnie out of that geography class yeah, yeah. 
um, and invested in a drunk <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that and it's like it, this is exactly why I, I want to push those kind yeah, of yeah, things because you know every so often you get a story like that and it's, it's it is it's like a movie isn't yeah, it? yeah it's mad you know yeah. we've and I think a lot of bands seem to have this but obviously the Crows particularly mm. you know seem to have that with their journey and uh, and one of the things that I really enjoy about interviewing bands and musicians I think once you get to know them and find out these stories you have a natural attachment to them yeah you know and I hope a lot of people who've not checked out the the ultimate edition of Point of No Return will now make that effort to check them out you know mm. like, I can't wait to see them live again obviously we're gigging, yeah. we're gigging with them later in the year you know I haven't seen Crows lives in years man like, mm. like we say when I gigged with them we had Bad Flowers you know which obviously became Wolf years ago so it's I'm looking forward to seeing that evolution particularly in a live setting because I think that's where they really come alive mm. yeah it was, ag- again it was really interesting where you know um, Shane talked about you know when they first brought in the piano yeah. and stuff like that it's, yeah, you know cool. all adds to that story it does indeed mm. so yeah that is uh, it for this week uh, if you'd like to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and all those things uh, you'll find that every Wednesday we have a teaser for the guests that we're going to have on that said week. So yeah, you're missing out if you're not if you're not following us on that. So well, and what I need, you, what Uncle Aaron needs you to do, right? <laughs> it's, it's not creepy. It's all yeah, right. yeah. Well, just just stare right stare. into camera two. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what Uncle Aaron needs you to do mate, is uh, is if you are watching us on lovely YouTube, make sure you subscribe, like. And uh, and share the video. Um, and we've got a group on Facebook as well, and set in a page. And invite your friends. You know, let's get this community building around the pe- the bands we've got on. Because I think that we, you know, some of the stories that we that we chat about as as things that I've I've never personally known. You know, and I, I think it's cool that if we build that community around and support the bands that are coming on as well as as well as me and Rai doing our thing in his front room. You know, so yeah. <laughs> get on the vibe people yes big love yes uh, yeah so we will see you next week we will